0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus I, the president of the Coming Home Network International, with my, my son, John Mark, the chief operating officer. Hello, John Mark, up in Perrysburg. Afternoon. Our plan in the future for these podcasts is uh, we're hoping to move towards a, a, a series that John Mark will be hosting called uh, Deep in Christ, and in a way, this Deep in Scripture series that John Mark and I are doing, just reflecting on this paragraph by St. Cyprian from his letter on the uh, Lord's Prayer, is uh, we're seeing as a transition, if you will, to the Deep in Scripture program, the Deep in Christ program. John Mark, maybe just mention before we jump in is what your thoughts about the Deep in Christ podcast, what you'd like to do with that.
1: Sure, sure, yeah. So I mean, the deep in Scripture, deep in history, deep in Christ. Actually, on this, for those watching the video, you can see one of our old logos from the Deep in History conferences before, and around the edge of that logo, it said "Deep in History, Deep in Scripture, Deep in Christ," which was a little slogan that you came up with, Dad, in in developing those conferences. Um, and we've explored the different the different angles over the years. Obviously, the Deep in Scripture program here that you've you've done. Uh, deep in history with the conferences but also now with your new show that you're doing with Monsignor Steenson um, and so then we've played with the idea for a long time uh, of doing an additional program and it, it it's similar to programs you've done in the past you know an abiding in Christ program but, yeah. which puts squarely the focus on let's let's talk about living out the Christian life and as a as a, as a tool or resource in the coming of networks repertoire you know the point is that our target audience, the people that we're talking to and ministering to are people who are either new to the Catholic Church, who are in the trenches of RCIA, you know, or who are just starting out that journey of maybe being open to or trying to understand the Catholic Church. And the point is, is the reason for that process, the reason to consider becoming Catholic is, um, is if you believe that the Catholic Church is Christ's church, is his body, and that the sacraments are true, that's the reason to become Catholic, because you want to go deeper in Christ. But wherever you are along that journey, and we have many people who are stuck at different places on that journey, dealing with different practical hurdles or relations or their finances or what they're going to do when they become Catholic. Wherever you are, in whatever circumstances you find yourself, the duty remains to be the best Christian you can, to be a saint, to be perfected in charity by submission to our Lord. And so that would be the focus of this program, is saying that you know wherever we all are in our particular journeys, Whatever obstacles we're facing, let's talk about going deeper in Christ. Let's talk about prayer. Let's talk about devotion. Let's talk about the virtues and the vices. Let's talk about this process of going deeper in Christ, which is really what the purpose is of our time here on earth. So that's the idea. So we would be having conversations among our staff and maybe with some members of the network. We're hoping to, to start that later. Yeah, maybe maybe later this summer. Sometime. Yeah, and, and in some ways we're seeing this program that you
0: and I are doing John Mark is kind of a deep in Scripture slash deep in Christ yeah. Yeah. discussion, uh, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, and the thing that struck me as I've listened to these programs over years that that we've done is some might think, well, hey, there's been books on these topics forever. You know, go to any library, you'll find books on. Today mm-hmm. we're going to talk about humility. You know, there's tons of books. You know, John of the Cross wrote about humility. Augustine wrote about humility. Um, but I think what is important is the timeliness of discussing issues in the time we live. It's not that what was said 50 years ago doesn't apply today, but we might be seeing it from a slightly different angle Mm -hmm. because of the culture we live in. Uh, you know, John Mark, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this, uh, but I think I'm finding in in the time I've been in ministry, which is 40-some years, that our world is such that we have to be careful what we say on, on the air in a way that I didn't worry about it 10 years ago, five years ago. Yeah. And those of you listening, why is that? What has changed? This is the world we live in. So when we study Scripture... That's why you can study scripture every day for the rest of your life, even reading the same verses, often coming back to it, and they'll have a different meaning because our lives change. We get older, our families change, our contexts change, and and they become a different, to use Bonaventure's term, a different mirror Mm.
1: that we see our lives in. Yeah. Uh, I love that image. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's what the saints are, right? It's interesting to think that um, I can't remember who said this, or maybe it's the actually the inversion of a line from uh, the novel *Anna Karenina*, which I haven't read. But someone inverted a line from that book in the sense, basically saying that um, sin is boring and repetitive. Like as we as we as we progress into a life of sin, um, it it's the same old thing you know, sinners are all kind of sin in the same ways. There's not, there's nothing really unique and original about sinfulness. The saints, on the other hand, every saint is this masterpiece of God's creativity. The more that we become who God made us to be, the more that we actually really find the the amazing uniqueness of who God calls us to be. And so each mirror of God's majesty in an individual person is so unique and so amazing, but we don't get there through ourselves. It's It's by being conformed to what God's plan is for us. And the reason it seems
0: to me that a a specific program uh, on Deep in Christ is appropriate for the Coming Home Network is that because many of us come from different traditions, we recognize that some of the things that are important for the walk with Christ from a Catholic perspective are different than from the lives of let's say a methodist or a baptist or a pentecostal or a presbyterian or lutheran and it's not our goal to stand in judgment of these different perspectives but but help to examine them and and uh, like i said the topic we're looking at today humility mm-hmm. i don't remember being very high on the list from my calvinist background and we might talk a bit about why is that so why are we talking about humility today? Well, we're looking at, in this short series, uh, as I mentioned, uh, a, a portion of St. Cyprian's treatise on the Lord's Prayer. And it happened to be in the morning offices of readings of the Liturgy of the Hours on the 11th week of Ordinary Time on Wednesday. And I'm pretty sure that was last week, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm kind yeah. of losing my mind, so. but uh, we had so much happiness last weekend with my middle, <laughs> yeah. our, you know, your brother and our, my yeah. middle son, Peter, being ordained a priest. So that mm-hmm. seems like forever ago. But anyways. <laughs> and when John Mark and I read this passage, it it, it really jumped out as, at us as having so much meat in it mm-hmm. that it, it seemed worth reflecting on, remembering that this was written in the third century. This is 1,700 years ago or so. And so in the early days of the church, and so we're hearing one of the doctors of the church talk about what is important if you're to follow Christ. And he uses it in the Lord's Prayer under the context of asking God that his will be done on earth. And let me read, Cyprian says, we pray not that God should do his will, but that we may carry out his will. How could anyone prevent the Lord from doing what he wills? But in our prayer, we ask that God's will be done in us because the devil shows, throws up obstacles to prevent our mind and our conduct from obeying God in all things. So if his will is to be done in us, we have need of his will, that is, his help and protection. We talked about that last week. That was our discussion about God's will. Um, but if we move on to the next paragraph, he's the first sentence is worth reflecting on. John Mark. No one can be strong by his own strength or secure, save by God's mercy and forgiveness. Now, John Mark Cyprian makes that statement as if it's a definitive statement. But in your study of philosophy, for example, there were an awful lot of people that wouldn't have agreed with that.
1: Is that right? I mean, certainly certainly in our, our fallen human nature, that sort of runs counter. We have a natural urge, natural bent towards self-reliance. Um, and and we, run, we run up against scripture, which insists that um, that, that has to be countered. Over the course of our lives. And in some sense, that's the deepest thing that has to be countered. I mean, when we begin the spiritual life, we're dealing with maybe big, ugly external sins. You know, I gotta stop murdering people, I gotta stop committing adultery, I gotta stop, you know, lying and cheating and stealing. Get those out of the way first. But once you've gotten those out all out of the way, it turns inward and we realize that it's a process of our entire life to get to a place where I'm still not holding out hope in myself you know that what i want is god's will to be done it's going back to the previous passage you know what does it really mean when i pray the our father there's you know there's there's a d- number of different petitions but that first petition the first few petitions that god's name be hallowed and that his will be done in and through me is that really the first thing in my heart and the reality is it's not and i know this because every time something happens and i get out of sorts, I get afraid, I get angry. I realize once again, mea culpa, that the deepest attachment of my heart is to myself, my comfort, my will, my plans, my expectations. And that the process, the journey continues where um, I want God's will to be done. Um, and so no one can be strong by his own strength or secure, saved by God's mercy. There's it's this lifelong, as you've talked, and talked about, there's there's the initial conversions, there's the periodic conversions, but there's this lifelong turning by bits and pieces by, you know, by hook or by crook, trying to turn away from ourselves uh, to face God and to rely on his strength and and to put his will in ahead of ours. The behind you
0: again, is that poster about being deep in history, which was based on Newman's statement in his opening, uh, chapter, opening introduction to his essay on development of doctrine, when he says to become deep in history, he has ceased to be Protestant. Um, what I have found is the deeper in history you become, and I, in some ways I'm really talking to right now to separated brethren as mm-hmm. I was for most of my life, uh, the, the deeper in history you become it should humble you. Um, If you become bloated because uh, you consider yourself a great scholar because of this wealth of information, then you've missed the point of what you've learned in history. Because, for example, behind this simple sentence of Cyprian is a vast history of theological, philosophical debate over, for example, uh, the effect that the fall had on us and our will Mm -hmm. and our ability to be good, our ability to choose. And when one reads history and, and reads the debates and the theological arguing, if you will, uh, but behind that the the passionate desire to to be not to be right but to get it right mm. and and you see in this question of can a person on their own effort their own will do what's right to Enable them to spend eternity with God. Mm. Can a person do that? Uh, When Jesus speaks to the people and tells them to straighten up their lives, when Moses tells them to straighten up their lives, Abraham, David, when God speaks through them to the people, could those people respond freely and therefore be obedient? And so there was always that tension. And we know that the, that the Calvinists and the Arminian Wesleyans have battled to this day over the freedom of the will. The Lutheran Luther wrote his great treatise on the depravity of the will. That's a part of the five points of Calvinism, that we're so depraved, there's not a thing and you see in Cyprian statement, no one can be strong by his own strength or secure, save by God's mercy and forgiveness. And so what we see in this, in this third century, is the beginning of these statements that will eventually escalate into great battles. It isn't quite there yet. Pelagianism hasn't hit the fan yet. In time, but you see what I'm getting at. I mean, th- th- there's more here. The question to ourselves as adults with children you, you know, how is it that when we want someone to be obedient, to be faithful, what does it take? And some people can get so caught up in the theological argument that they miss the point. And, and, and the truth is, I guess, what I'm talking about is. Behind it is the importance that we're going to get to of humility. Mm-hmm. That really is at the core. And I remembered far too many arguments when I was in Protestant seminary between the Calvinists and the Methodists and Lutherans arguing over the issue of justification and sanctification and freedom of the will and and all those mm-hmm. issues, John Mark, and the philosophies of that. And mm-hmm. and then I wanted to, and as I look back, I said, excuse me, is there any humility in this room? Mm-hmm. Is there any humility in this room? Yeah. And so what is humility? And, and we'll get to that in a moment, but you got a thought to throw in there, John Mark, at this point of this. I I no one can be strong by his own strength and mm-hmm. secure saved by God's mercy and forgiveness. I would want every Calvinist and every Methodist, every Lutheran, and every Catholic to say mm-hmm. amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. But for the grace of God, go I. Yeah. But that's what he's saying here. Um, it doesn't mean that we're puppets.
1: Right.
0: It doesn't me- mean an, a misunderstanding of what meekness means, and we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But it means
1: really what Jesus is going to talk about, about being like little children. Yeah. Yeah, even our even our will even our ability to choose is itself a grace i think that's part of the part of the key to the mystery there that um whenever we're taking a step toward the good we're we're activating we're engaging the 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 natural grace that god's given to us and that has to proceed from maybe a subconscious engagement to a conscious one where where we we grow in understanding of the lord and of of um, uh, desiring and receiving the grace, but but it's all grace, sola gratia. You know, it's all it all comes from God, and the world works in the way He desires it to. He desires our free will and our free choice to love and our free choice to obey. He wants to work through us. He doesn't have to. He never had to do any of that. You know, but that's what He desires. He desires friends and sons and daughters. It's almost as if behind this simple statement
0: by Cyprian is paul's statement in ephesians chapter 2 verse beginning with verse 8 when paul says for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not because of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus For for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, the reason I I mention that scripture is that, uh, again, men and women who argue over the meaning of grace and free will and justification and sanctification and salvation use that verse in a whole bunch of different ways. And, you know, my interpretation of that verse means not, it's not talking that by grace we have been saved by faith, so now I'm saved for the rest of my life and I don't have to worry about a thing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that way back when, when you were lost and you never even thought about God and you didn't do anything that would would make God want to reward you for anything, it wasn't because back then you did something good and so therefore God rewarded you. No. As Paul as Paul says in Romans chapter 3, while you were yet sinners he died for you. And that's when grace and the mercy and the undefinable election which in itself becomes a big controversy. While you were yet a sinner, while you were yet that, Mm -hmm. in his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness, he reached out so that all of a sudden our mind and heart changed. We weren't puppets, but we were Mm -hmm. now free to respond to that grace, which is called faith, Mm -hmm. and we moved. Was it me that moved or God that moved me? There's the mystery. But we can't do it on our own. So the core of that is no one can be strong by his own strength or secure save by God's mercy and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So if you will, that's the kind of overlying title um, sentence to what follows. You know, what how does that flesh itself out? And he gives an example. Even, he goes on, even the Lord to show the weakness of the human nature which he bore. Now that's an interesting statement in itself. Excuse me, did Christ in his human nature have a weakness? Mm -hmm. And what does he mean by that? We think of Jesus as as the as the hooper man Mm. but in his weakness well isn't he affirming the idea that Christ was tempted in every way as we are Mm.
1: right?
0: but not sin Mm. so Christ had that as in his humanity had a full human character Mm. was tempted in every way we are Mm. but without sin but He didn't live a sinless life because of his divinity. Mm -hmm. That had been cheating. But still there was the grace that empowered him to be able to withstand temptation. Mm -hmm. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So there's that there's that mystery of his divinity again. There's so much, and it's all going so on during mysteries, t- yeah. this yeah. is all going on during the time of Cyprian in the third century. All these issues, his divinity and his humanity. How do you understand yeah. that? All this stuff was being debated
1: during the time he's writing this. And those, you know, and it's not that those aren't important. They needed clarified. Many of them have been. Many of them still bear additional nuance. Uh, and there's a place for that. But uh, again, an important aspect of here the reason that we have the church and we have scripture um we're able to just live out the mystery like we don't necessarily need to understand all that nuance and 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 resolve those mysteries to be able to live out their crucial meanings the scripture gives us god's grace that is all grace from beginning to end its grace but that we have to run the race and we don't necessarily need to know <laughs> philosophically or theologically how exactly that works. It doesn't change what it means on the day-to-day level to try to live that out. You know, it means I go, I get up every day, and I seek God's grace, ask for His mercy, and and thereby I'm not relying on my own strength. I'm seek, I'm recognizing it all comes from God. I'm asking that. I'm br- trying to bring my will in line with that. But then I step out. I trust that I'll have the strength, but I still, I step, I move, I cooperate. And so um, we can, we mustn't, you know, lose the simple meaning of the mystery by trying to exhaust it or understand it. There's a place for that, but we have what we need to live out the Christian life. Yeah,
0: when Cyprian was writing, and again, I'm
1: trying to, uh, I don't have
0: it written down here, I think he was around 250 in that time period before he was martyred. Remember that the first ecumenical council of the church, Nicaea, isn't for another 75 years. So in a, in a certain sense, the debate over how to understand the mystery of Christ's divinity and humanity is still going on. Mm-hmm. Even the Trinity, how do we understand The relationship of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, yet there's one God. How do you understand that? Well, that's still—it's not that it hasn't been defined yet, but uh, people—the reason we quote Cyprian is we don't think he's infallible. He's a witness to the early church, but just because he's a saint doesn't mean every single thing he said— was infallible. So when he says, even the Lord to show the weakness of his human nature, which he bore, you know, he's at an interesting time when they're trying to define the history of Christ's humanity in relationship to his divinity. But Cyprian is porting out here an important part about Christ's humanity. Mm -hmm. Because you have these the mystery of two things. On the one hand, he says, Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. And then, this is Cyprian, and then by way of giving example to his disciples that they should do God's will and not their own, he added, this is the other side, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you you will. So there's, if you will, the, the true humanity of Christ saying to God, hey, Father, this is the way i would love it to go but i'll do what you want
1: yeah yeah it, it points out some of the nature of obedience as a virtue you know obedience um, cannot simply mean m- simply mean doing what someone else tells you to do that's that's a, that's a that's a set of circumstances but for it to be a virtue obedience precisely means that I, I do have my own will, my own desires, my own way of seeing the world, but I choose to put God's will first. I choose to trust Him rather than relying on myself. In in all virtues, you know, we have this this distinction between again what I maybe naturally tend toward, my temperament, my feelings, my desires, and then the 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 choice to do what I what I think is right, what what I think God's will is, um, and that's what what takes it from you know, just, just, just my feelings to a decision of virtue, you know? And so even in Christ, you know, he, he took on our humanity and experienced our weakness experienced, you know, the feelings and the emotions and the temptations, you know, but he then shows us what true humility is, what true obedience is, which is to say, I desire this, thy will be done. Father.
0: Yeah, there was always a theological debate as to whether Christ could have failed or not. We're not going to get into that debate at this time. But what what crossed my mind in in the way Christ dealt with this conundrum, Mm -hmm. there's the way that in his humanity he would choose it to be, and there's the call of God. And what's interesting is... Think about this. The order of these two options, they're divided by the word but. Mm -hmm. And the order you put around the word but Mm -hmm. is an expression of humility. He could have said, this is what you want me to do, but Mm -hmm. this is what I want to do. and how many people do we know and uh, that's the way that it always is yes this is what you want to do but <laughs> we all how much of that the part of ourselves excuse me yeah we're, i'm yeah. not pointing yeah this is what you want to do but mm-hmm.
1: that wasn't what jesus said mm-hmm. this is what i want to do but You know, it's interesting there too, uh, another layer there is that humility, the virtue of humility is always connected to truth. And so it's interesting again, to have the order there where there's an, there's an acknowledgement, a recognition expression of the the reality of this is who I am. This is what I desire. It's interesting. Humility and prayer. Sometimes we can get into this rut in a spiritual life of telling, of kind of making a, Pretending to be somebody else with God than who we are. Maybe we say things in prayer to God that we think He wants to hear, rather than sharing our hearts. Lord, this is what I'm struggling with. This is I'm hurting. I'm suffering. I don't understand why life is like. We we can kind of keep that behind and just say, Oh God, you know, you're so good, and I'm I'm just happy the way that you like. We can we can be dishonest with God, but part of humility is being honest about God is God. I am not. This is this is who I am. This is how I feel. This is is what I'm experiencing. And so even putting that first, Lord, take this cup away from me. If if I'm going through suffering in my life, Lord, I got to be honest here. I wish this hadn't happened. I will it to be otherwise. But, and there's that but, but my choice is to trust you. My choice is to hope in you. My choice is to love you, which means to put you first rather than myself first.
0: Yeah, it isn't always true if
1: if you if you put those in
0: that order uh because somebody could use it to manipulate the first thing comes to my mind and i could be very inaccurate about this but i'm thinking about (laughs) uriah heep and in one of charles dickens stories you know where it was very insincere it was manipulative to try and imply that we really want to do what you want. And I'm the most humble servant, you know. That, <laughs> word, that, games, yeah. <laughs> word games, yeah. Word games. You know, that's not here, of course. Right. But the bottom line, the Lord gives, you know, expresses his his human desire. But the bottom line was not as I will, but as you will. Jesus could have had a list of 50 things that he wanted, but the, bo- but the point was, the bottom line was, mm-hmm. nevertheless, mm-hmm. not as I will, but as you will. Mm-hmm. And so in that act of statement uh, is, is demonstrated what we talk about when we talk about humility. Mm-hmm. Cyprian goes on from there to say all Christ did, all he taught, was the will of God. And then he goes on and makes a long list, and and they, they easily break down into a, a bullet point list of things. Mm-hmm. And that's what John Mark and I were going to go through in the next couple of weeks, is we'll look at some of these bullet point ideas that together come out to mean what Cyprian, in his mind, understood Christ being willing to do the will of God. And the first of those is humility in our daily lives. And that's what we're going to look at today. Mm-hmm. We've already been talking a bit about it. Yeah. And I came up with a list of about 10 scriptures. We won't have time to go through them in any detail, John Mark, but and there's mm-hmm. so many more we could have gone through. But um, I won't. I don't think I don't think we need to approach this as if our audience doesn't know what humility, meekness, being humble is. And so uh, those of you listening, watching, it's not as if John Mark and I are going to start with a clean slate. We have no idea what humility, meekness and being humble means, so we're going to go to scriptures and come up with the 15 verses so that we can define what humility... That's not so much the approach because the the Catholic approach is that the Lord has given us through the teaching of the church, through the models of the mirrors of the saints, through what our Lord teach, we've been taught what humility is, what being humble is. But maybe... And John Mark, again, I'd like your thoughts on this, but maybe our biggest problem is we kind of know what it probably means, but how do I do it in my daily life? Because that's what Cyprian's talking about. Humility mm-hmm. in our daily lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we know it, we certainly know it when we see it, when we encounter it. We know when we encounter someone who's truly humble and and when they're not, you know, we, we, we experience it. Uh, and we certainly, you know, could... List definitions of it you know but it's it's what that really means when we go out to real life and we actually face situations we actually face the conflict between what i desire and what god's will is or even even my desire to know or to seek what god's will is you know more often than not we just would rather not think about that at all and just presume well no i i'm i'm doing fine you know i'm, I'm doing good things i'm a good person i don't really need to ask that question lord what do you want of me You know, um, and so that that is that operative question is, you know, what in scripture, in the example of Christ, do we have the example, what it really means when those definitions go out into the real world and, and, uh, and enter the the conflict, the decisions of our lives. As we look at these scriptures,
0: I'm, I'm finding myself very confronted with the idea that humility is a journey. Mm. It really is a lifelong journey that may go from having misunderstandings of what humility, being humble, being meek means. Mm. Maybe you have negative ideas of it,
1: mm.
0: seeing it portrayed like Dickens did with Uriah Heep, mm. um, you know, so that it's almost a, a sickening character, yeah. um, to, to going from there to learning that this is a quality that's a good quality, mm-hmm. that that's an important quality,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we'll look at some scriptures that will help us see that, mm-hmm. and then by grace we grow to learn what that means as a father or as a husband, as a son, You know, uh, a grandson, we learn what that means as a leader, Mm. running a business or working for someone, you know, all Mm -hmm. those, what humility means in that context. Yeah. And then seeking to live it out. But humility doesn't stop there because if, especially if you believe in servant leadership, which is the biggest part of servant leadership is humility, Mm -hmm. then it, not everybody understands
1: mm-hmm.
0: how you're living that out and you no longer have the opportunity to always explain what that means. So now you're growing in humility because you have to, to use a modern phrase, suck it up. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You've got to know you, you don't mm-hmm. get upset because you're called to be humble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could take a big jump and stand and, and, and defend yourself and fight for this and say, no, that's not what I meant. No, humility means the Lord knows my situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing this because this is what the Lord wants. There's nobody left in this world that needs to understand this except him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that growth of Humility and it becomes deeper and deeper and maybe more important Mm -hmm. as life goes on. Yeah. And and again, the reason I say that is uh, there's so many layers to humility in daily life. Um, And that's, the again, a a number of scriptures. And the, the first one is kind of funny if you will, but I think because of what I've just said, maybe that makes sense of it. And, and maybe. And it comes from Numbers chapter 12, 3. So this is coming from, if you will, the center of the five books of Moses. And these are the books of Moses. And so you read in the books of Moses this statement. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all men that were on the face of the earth. So on the surface, it sounds like here Moses is writing a book in which he says of himself <laughs> that he's the meekest man that ever walked the face of the earth. Mm. And <laughs> that's been one of those conundrum verses, especially for, for the, the extreme fundamentalists, that take everything in Scripture literally, and, and how do you explain that? That Moses would say that of
1: himself. Yeah, yeah can you say that about yourself, you know? Do, do you lose the humility award uh, as soon as you uh, claim it of yourself? Yeah, yeah.
0: Brother Rex <laughs> and I have a fun time in, when we're texting yeah. back and forth about which of us is the most humblest man in the world, you know, we're <laughs> humble right. than each other. I'm more humble than you, you know, I mean, just for the fun yeah. of it. yeah. You know, and the more liberal commentators of the Bible would say, well, see, that's proof that Moses didn't write the book. And, and, mm-hmm. But my perspective is just like in the Gospel of John, it's a similar thing where, where the apostle John says he's the one that Christ loved. Mm-hmm. Well, it, what it points to is that you have John speaking and teaching and proclaiming in his authority to the people. And mm-hmm. while he's teaching, there's a secretary there putting it down. It is exactly the words of Moses and John, but they're being put down by a scribe who who talks about Moses in the third person, because Moses is telling the story to the people, and he's writing it down. And so that may be a group of scribes that are putting it all together as Moses right. teaches. Mm-hmm. they describe Moses from their perspective, their experience of Moses mm-hmm. as being very meek. Now John Mark from the what we know of the life of Moses, why is it surprising that he would be described as meek?
1: Um, well, uh, meek the the term meek, and the term humility are interesting because sometimes we we can use them um, to describe like a latent natural quality, like someone by temperament is rather meek. They're quiet. You know, they're 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 not ostentatious. They kind of standoffish. Um, and there's a distinction to be made between those as sort of natural temperamental affectations versus a virtue, which is something that someone has chosen and practiced and developed. So you know, I mean, interesting different things in, in Moses' life. I mean, um, he was at the at the start very hesitant to take on the mantle that God gave him. You know, there was sort of a perhaps a natural meekness there. On the other hand, we also know that uh, when push came to shove, he was a man of great strength, of great, great courage. And so, you know, uh, it's interesting. The term meekness um, does not especially when we're talking about a virtue cannot mean that someone is just kind of a pushover, you know, that they're just weak, that they're just, Oh yeah, whatever, whatever you want, God, whatever you, whatever you guys want, you know, it precisely means someone who has, who is humble, who is, has humbled themselves, who has their own ego in check, not someone who's weak, someone who is strong, but whose strength, whose passion, whose courage is directed and guided and controlled. I heard in a, in a talk a, a couple years ago. Um, I believe it was Father Mike Schmitz was talking about this. There's this old expression to meek a horse, and it was the expression used when they would take a, a st- you know a stallion, a bucking bronco, you know, an, a, a wild beast of energy and passion and strength, and they would and they would break it. Now, what are you left with when you've meeked a horse? You're not left with now kind of a weak. You know, sheepish animal. No, you're left with uh, an animal that now has that strength, that fury, that passion, directed and guided. It can be used. It can be harnessed. And so, for meekness as a virtue, um, we're talking about someone who is strong, who has courage, who has strength, who um, has strong character. But but that's all that is reined in, and that is directed, and that is guided. And so. Um, it's it's interesting here for a couple of different angles the, the angles that Moses is described that way because we know he is again he's very he's a strong man but that that courage that strength is ordered and directed and submitted to God's will. Yeah, one of the first things we know about Moses is when he saw the Egyptian, uh, you know,
0: mistreating yeah. the Jew, well, he killed him.
1: Yeah, and that's not an example of meekness. <laughs> that is. <ain't, that> <laughs> it's meekness. not an example of 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 courage either. That's another thing too in courage. And it's natural. We could describe someone as naturally courageous in the sense of they just don't have a lot of fear. They're ready to jump into a fight. But that doesn't make it a a virtue. What makes courage a virtue is someone for whom, again, that strength is directed and ordered. It's submitted to reason. It's submitted to God's will. That's when it becomes a virtue. And so Moses was meek in that sense. He was a man of strong character, but that was directed towards a purpose.
0: In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord addresses the sixth, seventh commandments. Um, you know, I've heard it said you should not kill or you should not commit adultery or should not bear false witness. Well, just because you're a person that doesn't have the ability to kill someone mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're holy. No. Because you might be sitting at home steaming inside wanting to kill that person. Right. Or just because you're not you know, it, it, you're not about to go out and commit adultery for any number of reasons doesn't necessarily make you holy because you may be spending a, too much of your time thinking inside that that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, humility is it, not just because your particular character is one that you're meek and therefore you wouldn't, that doesn't make well, you. You wouldn't hurt a fly. <laughs> wouldn't hurt a fly. That doesn't make you Humble. That doesn't, it involves the act of the will, mm-hmm. choosing. In fact, the example of this where he was very weak, was meek, was the context of his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam were challenging him in mm-hmm. the context. And yeah. he chose not to react. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what is meekness? What is humility? And so here's a couple more verses. Um, three verses together, I think, are interesting because they kind of address a similar thing. In, in Deuteronomy 8, 2, And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you through these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know how what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And then, on the, kind of on the other hand, 2, Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, a very familiar verse, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And then maybe one other verse talked thrown in there, Psalm 10, 17, "O Lord, thou wilt hear the desire of the meek, that will strengthen their heart that will incline their ear so how do you see those things going together we have right now uh, god working in our lives to humble us but then on the other hand he's calling out to to humble ourselves you know how do those go together mm-hmm. if you will
1: yeah well i think you know it gets a lot of this comes back down to the theological virtues. In other words, the latent grace that God always has is is always already available to us because God's always just one step away calling us and giving us the grace to respond. And so the more active and the more we actively engage those, you know, faith, hope, and love, the more that we're making a choice to see this life, to see this world, to see all the events all the things that are allowed to happen to us, all the things that we're brought to, um, that those in some mysterious sense are all part of God's plan. You know, the, the one thing, uh, our sins are the, the one things we can definitively say that in, in no sense are part of God. Well, I, I, I don't want to say that. It's really complicated. We start talking about God's plan and God's will and God's permissive will and all yeah. the, the permutations. But the point is, is that even other people, when, when they say, when evil happens out there, there is still a mysterious sense in which God allows that to happen to us. He didn't intervene and take us out of that situation. He allowed us to spe- experience that situation, and there's some purpose to that. There's some purpose to the struggle and to the suffering. He's given it purpose, and he's shown us what to do with it. And so there is the sense in which all of our life and all of its ups and downs there's a purpose to it. And part of that purpose is for us to grow, to have this conversion over time. But then there's that choice that we make to begin to, rather than maybe spend most of our life kind of fleeing from that, you know, going through our life miserable because we're seeing everything as God, why me, why me? And we are we wish we could get rid of it. But slowly we turn and face it. And we, we, we through God's grace, we gain the ability more and more to say, yes, Lord, I choose to, to accept this, I choose to trust that you have a purpose to it, and that's where we begin. We're humbling ourselves, and so there's always a, there's a, there's, a, there's there's many sides to that. But God is for our own good, for our own true ultimate peace and happiness and joy. He's giving us all those opportunities. And then the question is, can we then bit by bit respond and humble ourselves? Do we hear
0: those two scriptures from Deuteronomy, Second Chronicles? came at different points in the history of Israel. Deuteronomy, it's after they've been through all the wilderness out of Egypt, and now they're getting ready to enter the Promised Land. And he's telling them through Moses, the reason you did this was to teach you humility. Mm-hmm. That you might... Be, to, to see whether what was your heart like, would you be obedient? And then in Second Chronicles, it's generations later when Israel is divided after David and Solomon's sin into two kingdoms, and they're about ready to be, in fact, I can't, this might even be in 2 Chronicles, they're already in exile. Mm-hmm. And he says, "If you, you know, humility isn't, he, God could hum- humble us mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. in the physical meek humbles, but he leaves it up to us to respond. Mm-hmm. And he was still waiting for Israel to respond. And he wants to hear the desire of the meek because he will strengthen their heart. And I can't help but hear in that God's call to us. (laughs) How many times in our lives has he tried to humble us so that we would turn to him?
1: And he keeps saying, if you will humble yourselves,
0: I will hear from heaven and heal your land.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have throughout, and again, we've got scriptures you've already read, and there's more to come here where there's a promise connected to humility. If, if you, you know, God humbles only to exalt us, you know, so there's a reward attached to it, but it also makes sense just in, in a general kind of psychological, philosophical way. You know, if we, again, we're reflecting on what humility really is or isn't, you can't be truly happy. You can't have love. You can't be truly in relationship with another person, whether it be God or any other person, except to the degree that you have humility, because humility is precisely that turning outward to, to face someone else and to face reality, to face truth. You know, Pride is this inversion. It's a looking inward. It's interesting. Pride is a self-love, but it's a self-love that is always closely intertwined with self-hatred because you hate who you really are the fact that God is God and you are not. Whereas humility is always a turning outward, both away from yourself, away from prideful self-love, but but toward your Creator, or toward other people, in which you can find true love and true happiness in another person. There's this there's an amazing mystery there where you can't really enjoy, you can't really be strong, you can't really accept and face reality, you can't really experience and give love, except to the degree that you turn outward and look elsewhere than yourself. It reminds me back, going back
0: to that, that, uh, that analogy of, uh, you know, which sentence is before or after the but, because pride is, okay, I know what you want, but this is what I want. Mm -hmm. I know, I've I've heard the list before. Mm -hmm. I've heard what you want of me. I heard what you expect of me. I heard all that, but this Mm -hmm. is what I want. That's pride. The yeah. other hand is, okay, this is what I know I want. Mm-hmm. This is what, if I had my way, this is what I want.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But Lord, I want what you want. Mm-hmm. That's humility. Mm-hmm. And it's a growth. It's a journey of getting there. Yeah, There are another two verses that go together. Uh, one is Psalms twenty-five nine, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble His way. And then, if you will, I've paired it with our Lord's statement in Matthew eighteen four: Whoever humbles himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Now I've put those together because it seems to me people wonder, what did he mean humble? Like I got to be? Do I need to be childish? Uh, Do I need to be dumb, if you will, Mm -hmm. you know, ignorant? Is that what he means to be like a child? Mm -hmm. Is that what it means to be a real Christian so that I can enter into heaven? Mm -hmm. But what does he mean by humility? And that's why I think it, it, you know, humbled like a child, it seems Mm -hmm. to be be connected with teachable. Mm
1: -hmm. Teachable. Yeah.
0: He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble as way. now John Mark, I only brought up three boys, mm-hmm. and you're not doing too bad, and one of them became a priest this last weekend, and Richard's still doing well, but you brought up five, so you probably know more about bringing up kids in this teachable moment
1: well yeah they're 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 much uh I haven't <laughs> brought them up yet <laughs> you done good i'm I'm still getting started. But but certainly in my children, uh, in their, in their good moments, um, you know, we see this quality, you know, we see this trust in the father, trust in, in the parent. Um, you know, do, do children, are children justified if, when they just, you know, believe whatever their parents tell them they, they in love, they listen and they obey and they trust that this person, uh, has the the, the best intentions for them, desires their good, and is working to take care of them. I mean, they, they are they are right in doing so. Now, we grow up and we realize that, oh, in some sense, our parents are in the same boat that we are, that we're all sinners too. And that they were giving us an image of our heavenly father who is truly perfect and does truly have a pure heart and love for us. But our, our parents give us that image. They, they point us in that direction. But we see again in the image of children, we see that, you know, the docility, that trust, that total trust in the parent, that total trust, uh, that, that, that natural hope that things will be okay, I will be taken care of, that I don't, that it would be wrong for me to rush off and try to live my life by myself on my own strength. Again, as Cyprian said earlier, that there's something good and right in me for me to look to the parent, look to the source of life and to trust and to love there. You know, it's that we have that in children. We have this natural image of what is open to all of us in the theological virtues, but is supposed to be something that's actively engaged uh, throughout the course of our lives.
0: I know this is a little controversial about child rearing in this day and age, Um, but as you mentioned earlier, John Mark, the the uh, the meeking of the horse that was the word you use. I mean, that's always Mm -hmm. been an understood part of our parental responsibilities with our young children. You know, we recognize they're not born perfect and then Mm -hmm. uh, they're born with flaws. It's this Mm -hmm. thing called original sin Mm -hmm. and the concupiscence. And so a part of bringing up a child is training their will. It's very, Mm -hmm. very, very important. And how we do it is differently. But it's out of that that they also learn humility. They learn to respect. They they learn all of that. It's an important part. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not like well, I have these perfect kids, so the best thing I'm going to do is I'm not going to mess with them for the first 18 <laughs> yeah. years, and then when they get 18, then I'm going to let them choose for themselves how they want to live. Well, maybe mm-hmm. that's what's happened in our world today,
1: but <laughs> I, that, uh, a lot of it is, you know, that we it's it's for just as we and throughout these scriptures, it's for our own good that God. Gives us experiences of humility that because he's planted in us many good qualities, but it's a lot of it's raw material. You know, I we rejoice. I gosh, man, I got five very uh, (laughs) intense children. I mean, (laughs) there's a lot of raw material there. It is raw. You know, they are. They have a lot of energy. They're very intelligent. They're very passionate. Um, But it is for their good that we slowly hopefully patiently uh, try to channel that, try to direct that passion and energy into self-control, into meekness. Now, does that meekness mean, no, I want to I break their will like in boot camp and just, you know, they're going to be these cowering little kids in the corner and now they'll do whatever we-. No, that's not, obviously, that's what we mean. The point is they have all that passion, but that passion is destructive. That energy is destructive unless it it's brought into being teachable, self-control. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what virtue is. And so as, 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 as parents, we want, we don't want to destroy that natural, those natural gifts that, that, that uh, energy, but we want to slowly guide it so that it can be something that they then, when they leave us, can approach God and say, God, I sub- I, I humble myself before you. I put this strength, this passion, this, the, the gifts that you've given me, and I submit them to you. Um, But that's the situation that we're all in throughout our whole life is that we've got all that we've got these feelings, these passions, these desires. And the question is, can we slowly humble ourselves to give those to God and to direct them to his purposes?
0: It, It
1: draws us back to the
0: scripture that we talked about weeks ago from James chapter one, count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials for, you know, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I mean, that's what we mm-hmm. want for our children, you know. Mm-hmm. So there are challenges, and we discipline them. And mm-hmm. the example of of God with Israel in the wilderness, but yet mm-hmm. still giving them the freedom after all of that. To still the responsibility to humble themselves, as it is with our children. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, we're have already been talking for an hour, John Mark, and. Um, I had six more verses that I want to, Mm -hmm. so we won't go into these in detail, but Mm -hmm. they all deal with humility and I I picked them for a reason Mm -hmm. and here they are. Um, the first is Luke 14, 11 and, um, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, When I hear that verse, I mean, there's a lot of ways to interpret it, but what I hear in that Mm. is the importance of trusting God with life. Mm. Not ourselves, Mm -hmm. but trusting God. Uh, Trusting that he will come through for what is good. Uh, If we take it on ourselves to exalt ourselves, it's kind of yeah. like he says in 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 the, you know in Matthew six in the that's your reward, yeah. But you've missed the reward that the Father has for you. Mm-hmm. So that's the importance of humility in that statement. Yeah. the uh, uh, The next verse uh, is mm-hmm. Ephesians four one through three. Um, and the reason I chose this verse is. The way I understand the entire book of Ephesians, it's really about baptism. And it possibly was St. Paul's letter to the church, and not just the church in Ephesus, but the churches during the Easter time when people were being baptized and brought into the church. And so there's this big instruction, six chapters, and the first three chapters are on baptism, being anointed and what it means and makes you one it makes you part of the church and all the stuff that it talks about in the first three chapters. And then the second th- three chapters, four, five, and six, are about, okay, now that you're baptized and a member of the body of Christ, this is how you live. Mm-hmm. And so he begins this three chapters. The first thing that comes to his mind, on, okay, now that you're baptized, this is how you live. He then says, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all lowliness and meekness. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, it says that in Paul's list of important qualities, the first thing that comes to mind, folks, given where we've come from, is the importance of lowliness and meekness. I mean, there's more ver- more adjectives to go along with it in, in right. Ephesians, but again, the importance of that.
1: Well, those you know, and again, there is there's there's a lot of significance there because the the lowliness, meekness, true humility—it's kind of defining these the central set of qualities that determine whether the direction of everything else. Again, like you, you can be a person of a lot of courage, you can be perhaps a just person in an external sense uh you can have a lot of good qualities you know but it the question is do those do the, are those pulled in line with god's will are those in the end submitted to god or, or do those end up being stumbling blocks i mean that's that's is interesting i mean that's the reason that god he, he may give us many gifts but sometimes we'll go back to the verse we were just at so you know whoever humbles himself everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and who humbles himself will be exalted. Sometimes our inability to trust God is to say, God, you gave me all these gifts and all this good I could do. If I just, if I just rushed out there and did all these good things, recognizing that with the good gifts he's given us, with the talents, with the words, with the intelligence, with whatever opportunities He's given us, there's still always the danger for those to be looped back in for those to begin to gravitate around this, this, our, our ego, for us still to define all those and to regard them and to value them and to pursue them simply in relation to me and my desires. And if that's the case, then all those are for naught. All those end up um, contributing to our destruction rather than to our salvation. So to, to put those first in his list, it's, it's that without these, uh, yeah... Yeah, well, I just noticed there were three verses that I jumped
0: over yeah. in the at the time, but I'm going to just mention, I'm going to quote those because they get into yeah. this thing. You know, all these yeah. gifts you give me, Lord, and I'm going to go out there and do it. And this idea of uh, he who humbles himself will be exalted. What does that mean? He who humbles himself. When when do I expect to be exalted? When's that coming? Mm. Uh and these other verses are from Flip, Psalm 37, but the meek shall possess the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Proverbs 22, 4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And then our Lord even mentions that in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthews 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Hmm. So if I humble myself, uh, when, when, when am I going to? It, get this exaltation here. I'll be
1: humble, you know, for now, but I'm waiting. I'm, <laughs> it's easy to be humble in the good times. That's know. why the context of Scripture and the entire teachings
0: of Christ is uh, that our rewards are in his hands. I won't just say they're in the afterlife, but they mm-hmm. really are in his hands. Yeah, And that's what we're trusting. Mm-hmm. They might come tonight. The rewards we may see blessings. Mm-hmm. We have to be careful in the theology that says you know the health and wealth gospel that really yeah. interprets this as wealth and prosperity. No,
1: no, because that's still it's it's so subtle. As you said earlier, humility is such a a, a journey, a process because. There's this layer of humility where, okay, I'll accept some some humility. I'll I'll, I'll step back and I'll be obedient, but <laughs> it's because I'm I'm waiting for the payoff, which means I still have a plan. I'm still holding out for the good things that I want. The, the the expectation of things, I still don't trust that God has the the best in store for me. That that He will take care of me. I, I'm still. I'm, I'm being a little contractual about it. I'm being a, I'm saying, okay, God, I'll deal with you. I'll give you what you want, but I'm, I'm, but I'm dealing. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm like this, the, the, the son who wants his inheritance. I want to see it. I want to, I want to strike a deal here rather than being, you know, what is your will father?
0: Yeah. Super didn't just say, um, humility. Mm-hmm. He said humility in our daily lives and if you choose humility and obedience to christ that will have ramifications and it may not be a day or a week or a month or a year if you try and live your daily life in humility you are choosing to trust god that his exaltation will come in his timing right and it may not even be in this life Mm -hmm. and you may find yourself sacrificing Benefits that you could have had. Mm-hmm. Uh, praise you could have had. Mm-hmm. Rewards you could have had. A career. Mm-hmm. Um, even fame you could have had. Mm-hmm. But by choosing humility in daily life, you've said, I'll leave that up to God. Mm-hmm. And so if it doesn't come, then there's a temptation of, oh, did I mess up? Boy, I blew it. And there's the whisper of the, and we're going to get into a verse like that that talks about that. Because choosing humility will have a history. It will lead to a history. It Mm -hmm. should. Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're growing, as you go back to the Deuteronomy passage, because God wants to know what's your heart all about. Mm-hmm. That's the key. Mm-hmm. The Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. I won't read that whole passage. It's one that everybody should know. It's one of the most important sections where Paul says, have this mind among yourselves and that has that wonderful image of our Lord who humbles himself. Mm. But the first verse of it is, do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. And he gives as the example of that, Christ humbling himself from being God to becoming a human being to dying on the cross. That is the model for, in humility, counting others better than yourselves. And I can't think of any other example of being humble in daily life that will lead to a history, have ramifications.
1: Right. Right. Yeah,
0: and sometimes you'll regret. Oh man, but you
1: you gave it to God. Yeah, yeah. There's a this, yeah re- recurring thing throughout our, our spiritual life where we we experience an initial conversion, and so we're we're happy to submit to God, to obey, to put His will first, while while the times are good, <laughs> while we're still on the honeymoon period, yeah. and then things go bad and we realize oh wait a minute my heart is still terribly attached to this world and the things of this world and my plans and the good things other than God that I want more than God and so there's this cyclical it goes round and round bit by bit where that stuff is winnowed away from us because ultimately in this life and in the next God wants to give us the ultimate good that that's always there but but it's himself it's not, it's not God plus riches, God plus fame, God plus good feelings. It's he wants to give us himself. And it takes a long time for our hearts to slowly be detached from all those things.
0: The next verse, James chapter 1, verse 21, which would have followed on the, our earlier study of James a number of months ago if we had continued. James says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rank growth of wickedness, And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls.
1: Mm.
0: Now, I see in that passage the acorn that leads to the church's understanding of the sacramental economy. Mm. If you to use Newman's uh, Saint Newman's idea of development. You know, it's one of the things that leads to this idea that it isn't just our humbling ourselves, but we receive with meekness the implanted word, the grace of Christ, mm-hmm. through baptism, through confirmation, through the Eucharist, through the laying on of hands in ordination, through marriage, through the the confession, through. Uh, you, you know, the, the extreme unction. You receive the implanted word that changes us
1: mm-hmm.
0: and empowers us. We're still always free. But that's why the, with this power we've been given, if you, if you will, grace, we need the boundaries and how it's to be applied. And the, the number one issue there is Humility. Yeah. You know, what, what has baptism done to us? Think about what it does. Let's receive that with humility. What happens in confirmation? Let's receive that with humility. What happens mm-hmm. in ordination? Mm-hmm. Receive that with humility and live it out in humility. Mm-hmm. You know, the importance of that. And it, it may be just two more passages. Um, And I'm going to read both of them. They're kind of a little bit long, but I, I want you to hear the whole thing. But there's but there's a reason I'm reading these both together. One's from James and one's from Peter. And James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you men of double mind. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Then 1 Peter 5, 5 5-7. Likewise, you that are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares about you. Boy, there's all kinds of reasons I I brought those two (laughs) verses together. Here we have two apostles, James and Peter, who studied at the feet of Jesus and from what our Lord taught them and demonstrated to them, they almost say the same thing. Mm. They really almost, this whole thing about the importance of humility. And twice James and Peter quote the same thing. Yeah. The first thing I mentioned is that they, they, quoted a verse we said earlier in slightly different words about humbling yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Mm -hmm. That's James. Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you. So there's the idea of of by humbling the exaltations in his timing and in his hands. But, and here John Mark, I'm going to throw this to you. The word for word, especially it's from the Septuagint, the Greek Translates the Old Testament. They quote the same exact verse from Proverbs: "God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Mm-hmm. What do you see, John Mark? Is so significant? It sounds like a lot of things we've heard before, any other verses. Yeah. But what is so significant? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble.
1: Yeah. Many things, but the, the thing that immediately comes to mind here is that another way we could rephrase that is God opposes the proud because He gives grace to the humble. God doesn't oppose the proud because He's jealous. You know that He He, he He's not uh, He's not envious of other people. He doesn't oppose. You know when you're feeling proud, He's not opposing you because He's feeling threatened. It's not why He opposes your pride. It's that your pride will be your destruction. Your pride is what kills you. Your pride is what keeps you from him. He won't force you to go to heaven. He won't force you to love. He won't force you to come out of your hole and enter into relationship with him. He won't force his grace upon you. He opposes your pride because he wants to give you is grace. The humble can receive the grace. The humble are open to grace. So he opposes your pride because he loves you. <laughs> yeah, He wants to give you grace. Once there, yeah. there's
0: that mystery,
1: what comes first? It's a chicken yeah. and an egg thing,
0: grace or mm-hmm. obedience. And mm-hmm. it reminded me of, uh, we're, we're always so familiar with hearing John 3:16, for God so loved the world. And we're familiar with that. And, uh, but Two verses later, he said, he who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, that it's that we believe by grace, but we're still free. You have to respond. And so in this verse here, God opposes the proud Well, the proud are the ones that refuse to believe. Mm. They've chosen not. No one. God sends no one to hell. Right. The only people that go to hell are the ones that choose it.
1: In the end, there's those, I think this is Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis. In the end, there's those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. There we go. But the humble and the the ability
0: to be humble begins with grace. But by being, therefore, and humble makes us more receptive Mm -hmm. to grace. Mm -hmm. That's why it is so important. That's why it's number one on the list, not only of St. Paul in Ephesians chapter Mm -hmm. 4, but number one on the list of St. Cyprian's list on what it means to follow the will of God. Yeah. So all of this kind of explains a little bit about humility in our daily lives. I hope that our discussions have been helpful to those listening. But <laughs> what it means to be humble even as a teach, as speakers on a podcast is recognize we're all in this together. So we would love your thoughts and your, your mm-hmm. comments about this very thing. We're going to go on in our next program. We may look at one or two. Who knows? It takes so long, with this one. But the next of Cyprian's bullet list is an unwavering faith. And then the next is a moral sense of modesty in conversation, followed by justice in acts. And we'll see how far we get with those thoughts ne- next week. Any closing thoughts, John
1: Mark? No, it's, it's, it's an exciting list. Um, but it, as you said, it is really significant that humility, that's the beginning there. Because if we start with humility, even if we make mistakes, which we will, if our if our place, if, if our starting point is humility, is a humbling of ourselves before God, then we can be taught. We will ask for forgiveness. And God is always ready and willing and and rejoicing to give us forgiveness. And so humility has got to be there at the beginning. The only way to have an unsolvable, Wavering
0: faith, which we'll talk about next week, is to have humility, but not Mm -hmm. just theoretical humility, but humility in our daily lives. Totally. All right, John Mark, thank you for this time. And thank you all of you for joining us on this program. Again, as I said, we'd love to hear from you. Any thoughts you would have, we'd love to hear it, especially if you connect with the community online at chnetwork.org. God bless you. See you next week.
1: Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.